Hey everyone, and welcome to Do I Still Love It, the podcast that questions the entirety of Hot Topic's business model. Uh, my name is Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And uh, every week, me and Laura get together with a special guest to rewatch a movie or a television show that we remember loving when we were kids to see whether or not we still love it now that we're grown-ups. Uh, and we're joined this week. And we're grown ups. And we're now grown ups. And this week we are joined by actor and director Sean Wright. Hey, Sean. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. He was super enthusiastic about doing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is a movie me and Laura loved as I am kids. Incredibly excited to do this movie. Yeah. This is one of those movies that I. I have a visceral love for, but I have no remembrance of what actually happens in it. So this is like maybe the most Do I Still Love It episode I've done. Okay. So I'm excited. Oh, the pressure is on now. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but we're going to find out, I guess. (laughs) So, So Sean, tell us a little bit about what is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids about? If I can recall, it has been probably at least 20 years since I've seen this movie. Can you remember, quick interjection, can you remember maybe approximately the last, like the age you were the last time you saw it? I was probably about 10. Perfect. Maybe a little older. I have a vague memory of actually watching this in a school class. (laughs) <laughs> like and, a science class? Like, it might have been a science class. Cause <laughs> like I, on the last day of school when they phone it in? Well, yeah. I sometimes they phone it in and it's not the last day of school. But I, it was point. probably a science class where they were like, yeah, we'll watch this and act like it's a science film that will teach you something when it really will not teach you anything at all. Right. <laughs> uh, I recall that it has Rick Moranis, of course, as the lead, the father who has some amount of children. I, I think it's more than one, but we will find out. Um, and kids plural. He's a he's an inventor slash scientist who has a shrinking ray who uh, inadvertently winds up shrinking several of his children and their friends and potential love interests, as I recall. Oh right, yeah. I think there's at least one female who one of the guys is having thoughts having, about having having teenage romance thoughts about exactly. So where do you explain it that way? I'm starting to think I don't even know if this movie could be made now because it would just be like, why is not someone not calling child services on that scientist that just shrunk his children? Well, I think maybe that... Is, I think that, that, a, I, is that a part of it that I, I don't think remember? That I, I do distinctly remember, I think there is, like, there are two antagonistic forces going on, if I remember. Okay, so, like, the kids are having the adventure where they're tiny, but I seem to remember Rick Moranis, while he's trying to figure out how to save the kids, he's catching a lot of shit from, like... The neighbors' parents who who would who are like we should call child protective services on you like neighborhood watch parents yeah basically okay. I think I think that's what it is we have like at least two families worth of kids getting shrunk that's right I think it's the neighbors' kids that also get shrunk with Rick Moranis' kids and it's probably the girl is the neighbors' right daughter. Like she's the girl next door that the Rick Moranis' sons all like ooh yes. cute cheerleader next door type. awesome that sounds accurate yeah that's dramatic. Uh, he shrunk his neighbor's children. Right. Is that is there does that jog any of your memory, Laura? No. <laughs> okay. Um, the only other thing I can distinctly remember is that there are giant insects. And I, I do remember this because this movie started my me and my brother's lifelong fascination with scorpions. I think this is the first time there is a scorpion in this movie. Oh, yes. And I think this is the first time as a child I ever encountered because I think I saw this movie in theaters. And this movie came out in 89, so I would have been six. So old enough to go see a movie like this. Mm-hmm. But And I think it was my first time ever encountering the idea of a scorpion. And it's 
if you have never heard of a scorpion before, it's an alien creature. Like, it is, like, no other creature, like, stings with its tail like a whip and has crab claw. Like, it's so many things going on at once. <laughs> it's dinosaur-esque. Exactly. Yes. And it's dinosaur-sized when you're shrunk. Exactly, yes. Yeah, and when you can see, like, every single, um, uh, every single, like, part of its, like, bisected shell oh, and yeah. stuff like that it's... up close when you're way too tiny, it's pretty freaky. Okay, so just some general notes. The big thing that I found when doing research for this, so it's 1989, this was the directorial debut of Joe Johnston, who prior to this had mostly been an art director. He had done art direction for The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Temple of Doom. So like this guy like had an art style that was really working in the 80s. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think it shows, because I loved like the giant set pieces. I know there's like a giant no, like, Lego brick at one point. Looks mm. like, this thing absolutely looks like it was done by an art director from the hypercolor uh, memories I have in my head. Yeah. I don't know anything about the plot. I just have pictures. Yeah. And so Joe Johnston went on to do Jumanji, The Rocketeer, October Sky, and even the first Captain America movie. So he went on to have a pretty big... What a career. Yeah, a pretty big career. But this was his, like, this was his jumping off place. So I'm feeling pretty good about our chances of enjoying this one. Yeah, Sean, it seems what, it, like what do you hands. think? Do, yeah, you, well, do you think that you're going to enjoy this? I think from some level. Uh, perhaps on an art direction, just remembering the giant creatures that they built up for this movie. I think the special effects will probably hold up to some degree. I don't know about the story itself. <laughs> um, this isn't one that I recall having long conversations with my friends about when we were growing up as kids. So I don't know that <laughs> it's all that well remembered. Yeah. 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 No, no deep life lessons right. other than don't shrink your children. No. And especially I, don't shrink your neighbor's children. I do remember the final joke. But I won't spoil it here. Oh. We'll wait oh, until... There's a, there's a final joke? Or, well, not necessarily the final joke, but there is a joke midway through the movie or some point through the movie that the younger child doesn't find out until the end of the film. Oh. And the last line of the film refers to the joke. And oh, I, wow. I recall the last line for some strange reason. I don't know. It stuck with me as some joke that I understood when I was a kid. Or... It just lodged into your head <laughs> it, randomly. It lodged. It lodged. What is interesting <laughs> how those things lodge because... I remember the the last thing I really remember before going to see it because I this is one of the first movies that I have a distinct memory of before I saw the movie for the first time because I remember seeing the trailer on television oh. for this because the tr there's a moment in this movie that maybe I'll save until after this, but there's a moment, a scary moment in the movie that's featured in the trailer that I saw when I was like five, because again, this movie came out like right after I turned six. I saw this moment in the trailer and I was sure this movie was a horror movie. It terrified five-year-old me. Well, you know, it's interesting because like, I, if I can just go into this, this, you know, recessed corner of my brain that, that has feelings about this film and dig deep below, I loved it. I feel like, for a kid, this movie was just scary enough to not be overwhelming and feel like an adventure film. Right. For a kid. Okay. Um, that's my that's my assumption based on my memories, which are fleeting. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see. I wish I actually I'll probably I'll probably dig up this trailer you're talking about. Uh huh. Um, because I'm curious to see like how they sold the movie. Yeah, yeah. Versus the movie that we actually see. Yeah. Well, great. Um, so I guess we are now going to uh, 
stop the podcast to watch uh, the movie. It's streaming on Netflix, so if you guys want to uh, join pa- us. pause the movie and join us. Shrink yourself down. Uh, shrink your brains a little bit if 80s propaganda about television is to be believed. Won't you shrink your brains with us as we watch Disney's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. As an inventor, Wayne Zielinski was used to striking out. Come on, shrink. But now... It's a whole new ball game. The machine works. Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. No, it's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. What? And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. They're in the backyard. What? Threw them out with the trash. The adventure of their lives was right in their own backyard. Be careful. I'll tell you, their size. That backyard is like 10 miles. Huge insects. It's a jungle out there. From the Disney Studios starring Rick Moranis. Are you saying that that machine blew, blew up, up my kid? Oh, no, 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 no. If the machine had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Report the missing children. Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? All right. Well, that was uh, Disney's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, and uh, so now that we we literally just got done watching it, Sean, what's your initial impression? Uh, I'm very happy for the Jewish-Christian relationships that are formed in this movie. <laughs> Between the Zelinskis uh, and the Thompsons. And the Thompsons, which I assume uh, in suburban Los Angeles, I believe is where this movie takes place, even though I don't quite know exactly where the white picket fences would be located in... Uh, Maybe Glendale? Uh, <laughs> could be Glendale. I'm trying to figure out where they're going fishing. Oh. If it's... If it's here, but I maybe guess it big, was pre-drought there, Lake Arrowhead. Oh, right. oh yeah. yeah, this is pre. This is pre the drought years. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is grass. There's uh, a lot of grass. There's in this a movie. ton of grass. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for the uh, the audience at home. Like you said, the we we pretty much nailed all the the major plot points about. Uh, uh, Rick Moranis accidentally shrinking. Um, we now we now know he has a attractive teenage daughter and then a nerdy little son just like him. And then the next door neighbor boys, which have one of the saddest relationships with their father of of just about any made for kids movie I've ever seen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think in general something about this film that I I'm so grateful for that I don't think I have experience, re-experienced another film from my childhood, is this movie is pretty, like, honest about, like, the experiences that go on. You know, it's like, usually if it's a kid's movie, it's a kid's movie, and they sanitize everything. Nothing about this film was sanitized. Right, right. But it was still, like, just... As I, as I said, I, 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 think I, I, I think that I still agree with myself from the beginning... This movie was just scary enough to, like, be incredibly intense in the intense moments as a kid. Mm-hmm. Still intense now. But it was it was just, like, friendly enough that you, you knew that you were probably going to get... You are probably, like, in an adventure and feel good about it. Right, right. 
Um, yeah, so it's interesting you bring up, because, yeah, so we have the Zelenskys, uh, who, at the very beginning, we're introduced to uh, uh, Mr. Zelensky, played by uh, Rick Moranis, and then his wife, who we learn have had a fight the previous night, and the wife went to her mother's house for their for them to cool off. Mm. And then next door, we have the Thompsons, where Mr. Thompson, Russell Sr., obviously has anger management issues and a lot of other classic like just distant dad traits um or like overbearing wanting to live vicariously through my son and my one son my obviously favorite son right. <laughs> there's, there's no they don't cut corners with that he has a favorite son and it's very obvious from the get-go which one it is. Right. The one that is exactly like him. Right. And you know, and it's something I've always kind of thought. So he has two sons. So Russell Sr. has Russell Jr. and Ronnie. And uh, uh, Russell Sr. is the one who looks nothing like any of the other members of his family. And is obviously has a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> and, he, and he looks, he has like a big kind of Greek nose where the rest of his family all look um, like very like middle American white. Mm. Um, but what's really funny is so Russell... So Russell Jr. is the only one Russell Sr. gives a fuck about. Uh, when they, when like when they're when the kids go missing, Russell Sr. is like, he, I remember there's a moment in the movie where he walks out front to go like, where do those kids go? And he shouts, Russell. He looks the other way down the street. Russell. Although strangely, <laughs> at Russell one is point, the older one. right? Russell's the yeah. older one. At, yeah. at one point, he does look at Ron doing something and says, "Why can't Russell be more like Ron?" Which is just strange. It's like Ron is doing things to, you know, you would you should like what Ron is doing, and yet you still play favorites with Russell, even though you want him to be like Ron. Right? It doesn't make much sense. Well, it's like it's one of these things where it's obvious, like he doesn't give a fuck about. Ron, even though Ron obviously tries his hardest to be interested in all the things his dad is interested in, and just to get noticed, but his dad can't get over the fact that it's like, what's wrong with Russell? <laughs> like, why why can't Russell just be like... And because Ron is the way that he, I guess, wants Russell to be, he doesn't praise Ron, he just ign- he just ignores Ron and is like, it seems so easy, why doesn't Russell do it? Well, I mean, it's actually, if you want to create the parallel, Rick Moranis' character does the exact same thing with his son. His son is like the spitting image of him down to molecular brain construction. And he's like, hey dad, I did this thing, and I just want to be just like you. <laughs> and he's just like, that's nice, I don't have time for this. Yeah, what is up with this movie about fathers ignoring their younger sons? I don't know, I'm just wondering about the daughter. I did have that wrong. I, I pictured yeah, in my yeah. brain that the daughter was the next door neighbor when it's actually Rick Moranis's daughter, who's apparently very popular in high school, as as she likes to point out. Right. Uh, she says, I was too. But one of her lines to the boy who's crushing on her to Russell Jr. is, I was too popular to notice like, you. And she says it in all earnestness in a romance. Says, and then she dives into his mouth oh, dude, for their first makeout. Intense. That was some like intense hot kissing. teenage making out things happen hot teenage making out she like grabbed him by the back of the neck and she went for yeah. it yeah things happen really quickly in this movie <laughs> except for their journey through the backyard that yes, seems true. to take about three times as long as it should i'll see but i like i i really liked the chemistry between the two of them and oh so like for me i felt like it was a natural level of build-up i uh-huh. mean you know like he saved her life 
Yeah. You know, it's like, it was good. It was good. Yeah. I was shipping them hard. Right. So yeah, okay. So so yeah. So so basic some plot basic plot points. So uh, Rick Moranis's machine shrinks the kids, and he accidentally sweeps them up in a garbage bag and drops them out in the backyard. And then they spend the bulk of the movie going on safari through the backyard, which, as you say, takes an inordinately long amount of time. Little kid Nikki calculates it as being like three and a half miles. Later on, Rick Moranis says, gosh, our backyard would be like 10 miles. And that's closer to how long it's depicted (laughs) in this movie. Well, thank goodness the kid had that calculator with him when he was shrunk. shrunk. (laughs) Because otherwise we would have no advancement of plot in in terms of him knowing exactly where to go. Which I was impressed whenever the kids were in trouble, they always knew exactly which direction to go. Yeah, they never once had to like scale a grass blade to like look around. Although I guess they could maybe have just cut that part out. We're not with them the full 24 hours. Hours it takes for them that to get is through them. true. I just want to say that, like, I was blown away by how not terrible the special effects in this movie were. <laughs> they good. were fantastic, especially for 1989. I'm, I'm like, there, there were very few moments where my eye was just like assaulted by the bad, by the bad special effects. I mean, I there know. were a couple moments, but like it was 1989, so I was expecting all of it to be bad. Yeah, no, it was definitely the kind of. Um, I remember watching like behind the scenes specials on this when I was a little kid because there are like several large animatronic insect uh, insects in this movie. There's a giant bee that at one point uh, two of the kids are riding on. There's a giant ant that becomes kind of like a secondary character for a while. Uh, and then and then there's and a, he's a, their a friend. and he's their friend. They, they somehow domesticate an ant with cookies. <laughs> that was and if strange. I may, if I may point out, I feel as though, you know, we in this size, we don't really think about insects very often. But this is kind of an interesting meditation on if you were able to look an insect in the eye, would you care if it lived or died? Uh, it seems that Ron, who is the least empathetic character of the four, he absolutely got attached to this thing. Mm-hmm. And then he watches it die. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, because there was a point when they had befriended this ant where my thought was, man, it's going to be really sad when they have to say goodbye to the ants when they are essentially brought back to being a large size. Well, the screenplay just says, eh, we don't have to worry about that moment. We'll just kill the ant. Yeah. So there is there is ant death in this movie. And because the ant is a... Uh, because the ant is a steed, I wondered if it would trigger Laura for you. Your <laughs> So Laura, as I've touched on before in the show, Laura... The the violence in movies that most disturbs Laura is violence against horses. Horse death can't handle horse it. death. Unexpected horse death in a movie is the quickest way so to turn since Laura they off. Rode this thing like a horse. So I wondered. Did yet, I have the same when reaction. Auntie bites it. Spoiler alert: the ant dies. When the ant dies, did Dilly, did it pull at your heartstrings? It absolutely pulled at my heartstrings. It did not pull at my heartstrings the level that horse death does. Uh-huh. Horse death makes me look away. Oh. I can't actually watch it. I guess I was able to watch this. We're not going to watch Equus after this, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, okay, or or Never Ending Story, or <laughs> a- any Western that ever existed. You know, it's rough. Yeah. Um, but no, but I was oh, like say- that that scene that uh, the battle sequence in Game of Thrones. from this last season so much horse death so much horse death honestly there was so much horse death in that that it just I just got desensitized oh Um, just so many horses dying hundreds of horses are dying okay Um, now I can't feel it exactly but uh you know it was actually really interesting because it's like 
he's looking into the eyes and into the mandible yes <laughs> of this of his dying aunt and the aunt's little feelers is touching him as he's dying and i actually think this might be the first time that ron has ever felt like the emotion of attachment and loss yeah because this is just a character that feels almost nothing he's he's kind of he's he's kind of a rude like you know, uncaring kid. And I feel like this is probably a formative moment in his life. Yeah, he he cradles this ant, which has been his steed, as it dies. And then Sean said... And instead, Auntie just died right there by that blade of grass. <laughs> in Vietnam. I don't know. Yeah, if I had known this is the last time I was going to be seeing Auntie, <laughs> I'd have thought of something better to say. <laughs> And they have the dramatic pullout. There's like there's the there's the touch as he cradles him just like Bubba, and then there's the dramatic pull out as the ant slash Bubba dies. And there's no mention of the ant after that. No, they seem to get over they seem to get over the ant's death pretty not quickly. At all. And so so to to stay on the topic of the large animatronic um, beasts, uh, Marshall, how was your reaction to the scorpion? Okay, so yeah, so. When when I when we were kids, my brother and I like were obsessed with Auntie and the Scorpion, and uh, like I found it very terrifying. Like the sequence where the Scorpion comes and the ant has to fight it and stuff is like. Well, don't forget, he's not just like it's not just fighting the ant. He's actually so they're sleeping in the Lego at that point in right. the the little hollow bits on the bottom of the Lego, and he's putting his scorpion claw inside one of the bits, and Ron is at the back of it. Yeah, yeah, and he's, he's like trying almost, to grab him. Yeah, it's very intense. Yeah, and there, so there's like a crazy like kind of scary sequence where they're fighting this and earlier before that there was a scary sequence where like a bee where the bee comes and grabs little Nikki and I was pretty terrified as of bees when I was a kid and that scene did not help my terror about bees when the bee descends on the kid it's uh overwhelming <laughs> to this day I felt like I felt like sense memory like I wasn't scared of it obviously while watching it but I felt sense memory of the terror that it once caused me right right um, Marshall has a very intense memory of being stung by a bee at the very very young age yeah one of my first memories that I like have like very clear in my head now is when I was young I took a step out to the backyard like and it was supposed to be a big moment like I'm an old enough I'm a big enough boy I'm to hang myself. out in the I can hang out in the backyard by myself and my first step in the backyard I stepped on a bee and it was like the most painful experience I'd ever had up until that moment. I was like, you know, I'm sure I'm going to die. Like, this is how Marshall <laughs> James dies at two and a half yeah. years old <laughs> due to a bee sting in the foot. Um, well, speaking of bees, a kid in this movie has an allergy to pollen and then falls into a flower and says something to the effect of, well, I'm too small. The pollen won't affect me. And then he starts get into sneezing. Yeah. I thought the kid was dead for sure. <laughs> Like he was yeah. going to swell up. And we so we can't get you to swallow Benadryl in time. Yeah. But then he stops sneezing just as quickly. Right. So no, that's, yeah. So that is just not, a throwaway joke. That's a, that's a pretty mild allergy, dude. Maybe it's just a mild, you know, like he's going to have some hay fever for the rest of the day. But I feel like if you're that small and you have an allergy, I feel like the allergy would become vastly more intense as the amount that you're taking in is probably going to grow in ratio, right? Right. But I think maybe his point was that the actual little pieces of pollen that normally go in your nose, his nose is now too small for those little pieces of pollen to actually go in his nose. Yeah. No, I understand. I still don't understand. 
the the really cool thing I think that I that I love about this is like so we were talking earlier about like so Joe Johnston this was his directorial debut and he up until this point had been an art director and this movie has the art direction it's art directed all over like it's, <laughs> it is an art piece that's really just oh, yeah, being filmed 100%. there's giant screws and boards and there's a giant like spoon there on at one point and the giant Lego pieces like everything is writ large and it's so cool like the movie is really cool looking. Like I was enjoying oh, yeah. every time. There's all these beautiful sweeping shots through the blades of grass whenever they cut back to the kids from the parents, and the kids are still making their way through the jungle of the backyard. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna point out that there was a specific moment where they start with the camera like looking over the fence, and then they slowly pan down, and and I know from from a production standpoint. That there, it's ab- it's completely shifting um, when they pan down to the grass and then they go under the grass. Uh-huh. But they completely pan down with the camera and they run into one blade of grass and then it just effortlessly like the cut was so good. Just the the production value is just so high on this that um, I even now like what how many years later like twenty five years later yeah I now even twenty five years later watched that thing go and was like man that's like. I could totally tell myself that that was one shot. Oh, right. The the, yeah. the invisible edit. Yes, exactly. And they had like one blade of grass that was kind of like the like the, the shift yeah. between the actual the shot piece. and the... Yeah, it was really great. Um, it's just beautifully done. Yeah. Um, so did you guys... Did you guys ever go to uh, Disney World when you were younger? Yes, I did. I think I know what you're going to bring up here. Yeah, so this is a movie by Disney, and I feel like they took, either they made replicas of a lot of these set pieces, or I wouldn't be surprised if they actually used the giant set piece. I mean, once you commission the building of a two-story Lego brick, like, there's no reason to just junk it if you can then make it turn a profit again. And so... They made a they made a playground essentially kind of an adventure playground in Disney World. I want to say it was maybe in the um, Disney Studio because they have like the Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, and then they have like one other place like. Right. Well, it used to be MGM Studios. That's but right. Now Metro Golden Mayor doesn't exist anymore, so I it's called something else. Maybe it's just called Disney Studios. At this yeah, point? I think I think you're right. And so in that park, they had like this big adventure playground that was just filled with like a giant Lego brick and like like leaf slides. I'm so and, sad I missed this. And there was like a giant. There was a little anti replica you could climb on that was like a jungle gym. Marshall got to go to it. Yes. I was asking because I was wondering, Sean, did you get to go during this time? Do you remember getting to explore this? I do. I have better memories, I think, of the play set of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids than the movie. <laughs> Except for now that I've seen it and it's fresh in my head. But I, there's also apparently something Disney created called Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which I probably saw... But yeah. have zero memory of. Yeah, it would be one of those, like, ride the movies. Like, they did Star Tours with Star Wars right after Star... And they did, like, Captain EO with Michael Jackson and stuff back in Epcot Center. So, there's uh, there's one other moment that I that I want to talk to. There's, like, a, a setup early in the movie that uh, Nikki, the little Rick Moranis clone, has hired his good friend to mow the lawn mm-hmm. for him in a, in a great little Tom Sawyer whitewashing offense scene 
where uh, just like how Tom Sawyer is able to somehow convince his friend that whitewashing a fence is fun and he should actually pay him for the opportunity to wash his fence. Oh, very uh, good memory yeah, on yeah. that. I forgot yeah. that, that that's a complete parallel. Yeah, yeah. So in this, Nikki's just like, hey, our lawnmower is remote controlled. You should give me a box of cookies for the honor of mowing our lawn with our remote control lawnmower. Um and so then, as you know, as unluck would have it, the kid shows up to mow the lawn, like right as our kids are getting very close to the entrance of the house, and they almost get mowed to death in what is again a very terrifying sequence. I think that was the most terrifying sequence for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think maybe because of all the things that they encounter, lawnmowers are the most inherently dangerous to full grown people. It's true. Although like, I still don't know how they got out of that. I mean, they fly up toward the blades. Oh, no, sheer luck. And it's, I mean, it must be sheer luck. It was sheer luck that they got spit out instead of Instead, instead of, of getting cut chopped out. to pieces. Yeah. yeah. I think the implication is that somehow they got blown away, but why would they get whacked by the blade know. coming around? And of all the relationships in the movie, the one I understood the least was Nick and his friend Tommy. I don't understand how they were ever friends. <laughs> How the two of them would have spent time together or had any common interests whatsoever, I I just didn't I just didn't get that relationship. Right. Well, I <laughs> I wonder if the implications that Tommy is literally just a neighborhood boy, just like how Tom Sawyer is like it get just tricks just random neighborhood boys. If it's just like, hey, doofus, on the, how about I try and trick you into mowing my hey, lawn? You like weird. You like you like cool electronics. Yeah. I bet I have the coolest electronic. And they gave him a skateboard and headphones. I think maybe the filmmakers thought, oh, the little kids, every single little kid knows someone on their block who has a skateboard and wears headphones. So they'll understand. I was the kid on roller skates with head with headphones. There you go. That's all I did. You for would have been years. tricked into mowing this. Lawn. I totally would have been. <laughs> it's like a cool thing. Yeah. That's a cool machine. It is. There are legitimately cool machines in the house. Although I was expecting like a Rube Goldberg style machine that just did not manifest. For some reason. Uh, he has completely, uh, he's like 18 steps above Rube Goldberg. Right. I think I was confusing it with Goonies because there's like Rube Goldberg machines. Oh, how dare Goonies. you confuse this oh, yes. with Goonies. Well, <laughs> it has certain Goonies-like elements. Uh, oh, so, oh, and so I sort of like talked about this in the in the intro bit but so the part that's heavily featured in the trailer that terrified me is right at the end the uh nikki falls into a bowl of cereal and almost gets eaten by his father and there's like a moment where you see the spoon coming to this giant open mouth and i was so terrified of that during the the previews, like I mean, the idea of getting almost, eaten by my father. That's almost Shakespearean in its tragedy level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm not going like, to say... it's it, epic. It definitely had some sort of, like, uh, weird Oedipal things going on. Like, I just did not want my father to eat and kill me. <laughs> or was it, uh, who was it? Like, uh, Uranus, right? Like, Uranus ate Zeus and stuff. Like, in... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw my dad eat Cheerios, though. So I was never that frightened by the idea of my dad eating me in a bowl of Cheerios because my dad did not eat Cheerios. I don't know if I ever saw him eat cereal at all. Oh. Now well, that I think about you it. You would have been safe. <laughs> yeah. I would have been perfectly fine. Uh, I'm like, that would never happen. Dads don't eat Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of very precise product placement. Like, there's a moment we see them playing footsie under the table and his Reeboks with the word Reebok is right there. And there's like, what is this? It's one of my Legos. Oh, they cut a check to oatmeal cream pies. Yes. Without a doubt. He even I puts actually, the Debbie, the little yeah. Debbie box right on the, on the table for its beauty shot. <laughs> 
But I do, I do want to say that unlike other films from this time in the heyday of product placement, this one felt like every single thing that they placed is something that I personally believed had a place in this. Unlike, right? Yeah, there are other situations where it's like, what? Why is there a can of Mountain Dew on this table in this like boardroom? You know? Right. Sure. This kid eats oatmeal cream pies. It's not like kids never eat oatmeal cream pies. Yeah. I'll, I take greater umbrage with the idea that he would have dropped a full oatmeal cream pie in the lawn and then not picked it up. What right. an irresponsible shit. Or the dog wouldn't have gotten. That. I mean, exactly. I do. I would say that I don't think that Russ would be wearing Reeboks because that was the time of the era. Jordans. He would totally have 1989. Uh, maybe the Thompsons could afford the Air Jordans. That's true. Maybe. They do spend their money on literally everything else. Oh, yes. Fun side <laughs> note. The first 45 minutes of the film, they're just putting literally everything in their house in... They're, they're supposed to go to the lake. And I, they're, they're, like, carrying their microwave. They're carrying golf clubs. There's skis involved. And at that point, I just thought, like... When am I just going to see him carrying the kitchen sink? Mm-hmm. You know, right, it was right. just such a, it was like, like just to put a button on the yeah, joke. It was like such a fun, like just kind of under the radar gimmick that was going on. I just thought it was really clever. Yeah. She like, had a golf bag. She was bringing yeah. golf clubs and I don't at, to the lake. And a microwave and all their the microwave, microwave dinners. And they had cataloged the microwave dinners. Yeah. Even though they were going fishing. Yeah. So you would theoretically be eating the fish. Right. So maybe maybe. He's, maybe he's assuming that they will not do well. <laughs> um, so so Sean, is there anything? So is there any like standout things that you remember differently, or that you were surprised? Like, oh, I don't remember this part at all. I'm trying to think. I mean, I obviously the uh, the 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 daughter. I I had placed her with a different family for whatever reason. Um, I. But I more or less remember the majority of the film taking place in the backyard, which is what happened. I thought maybe there might have been more when they had gotten back. You know, that, that they had played a little bit more with once the kids returned to the house, there's still a little bit of an adventure going on. Which yeah, I, that did click along very, it was like five yeah. minutes. Well, yeah. yeah, they ride the dog in its fur from the backyard all the way to the table and to dad in like one scene. I also didn't remember, once, once Rick Moranis kind of, uh, he figures it out pretty quick yeah there's this there's a section at the beginning of the film where they all just sort of think the kids are off doing their own thing they're missing they're at the mall or something and then suddenly rick moranis just goes upstairs sees his little couch that's shrunk and just knows off the top of his head oh i know my kids are now shrunk oh and i ran into the broom which means i must have swept them away and put them in the backyard and then it becomes essentially this physical comedy routine for rick moranis (laughs) as he's going around in this hammock that he set up with a TV, which I guess the TV weighs exactly the same amount that he does in the hammock. <laughs> yeah. So it allows well, him to balance. TVs, you know, 1980s, they, they wore li- they weighed like 150 pounds. They <laughs> right. could probably counterbalance a Rick Moranis. He is a tiny man. They, you yeah. know, they weighed about you know one Rick Moranis, give or take. <laughs> you know, uh, which then he goes around in a circle looking for people in the grass, which I kind of thought was a bit inefficient. Right. Agreed. Yes. He just went going in, he just kept going in the same circle. Like, if anything, you'd think, because he finds the tear in the garbage bag, surely he, if he, he seems to have confidence that his kids would head straight for the house, but then he doesn't look in the straightest, you know, as the crow flies line. He starts, like, spinning out all over the place. Well, in his defense, he only had so many options to keep his feet off the ground. Oh, that's that's true. Yes. He's limited. 
But yeah. I also thought that the kids, if somebody was gigantic spinning around, yeah. that they would be able to see that. Yeah, I and mean, like, it would feel like it. a very big cloud going over you when yeah. you're walking through. You'd at least look up, but yeah, I don't know. One thing that I haven't been that small, so <laughs> it's true. Well, it's not my lived experience. Well, and speaking of that, that's the one thing that I had had sort of forgot. I'd forgotten about the sequence with the sprinkler comes on. He accidentally turns on oh, the sprinkler, yeah. and it turns into this like bombs of water falling on the kids, and it's a big action sequence. And the little girl almost the the girl almost drowns, and then Russell Jr. like saves her, and it's the kind of they're like meet cute. Oh, um, and this is where the joke comes up. Oh, yes. The jo- the joke that Sean... <laughs> Sean, hints. the joke. The French class joke. Yeah, yes. like, how did he learn how to do CPR? In French class, kid. He says in his, like, his best, uh, the Fonz, he's like, French class, kid. It was hey. Yeah. I would have let him resuscitate me. Even it's thinking cute. about that right now, I still don't exactly get that joke. I mean, I get the joke, but I don't get the joke at the same time. You don't quite know why it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're implying something about the French and kissing, but the fact that that has something to do with CPR that you would learn, which then the small kid, Nick, would suddenly get at the end of the movie... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Seems a little put on. Right, because I don't think I understood French kissing when I was eight or however old Nick Oh, Nick I is. did. Like, I, I think at the time I was like trying to figure out like, why would you put your tongue in someone else's mouth? Like, you'd taste their food. Oh, I had access to Cinemax. <laughs> I got it. Oh, oh okay. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh. So, so speaking of this, do you feel like... Uh, so, I... One of the questions we always ask about is how appropriate you think this movie was for you as a child. And given the fact that I I remember it causing me a lot of terror when I saw it in theaters at age six, but then loving it later on, I feel like it was inappropriate viewing for a six-year-old. But this movie was probably okay for me as like an eight-year-old. I mean, but like also point out, it is a different experience when you're seeing something in a theater. Mm-hmm versus seeing something on your television because mm. that scorpion in the theater would have been huge could have just crawled off the screen and eaten you Fair. and so you have a little bit more equity in size to the characters on the screen when you are watching it in a full-size theater uh that's yeah okay i guess that's true because i did find jurassic park relatively terrifying when i saw it in theaters but then i watched the ton of it when we got it on vhs yeah i don't think I never saw this movie in theaters, but I saw it a million times in my house, and I loved this movie. It was never too much for me. Yeah. Did I, you see it in theaters, Sean? I don't... I think... I'm pretty sure I saw the sequel, Honey, <laughs> oh. I Blew Up the Kid in the Theater. I don't remember if I saw this one. This might have been a, a an at-home viewing, too. But, but part of it, I think that it's okay for kids is I think that they can make the disconnect in their mind that... Oh well, I would only be facing a giant scorpion if I was shrunk with a with a laser, <laughs> which isn't going to happen in real life. So, because w- when we were watching it and, and they were like taming the ant, I thought that's a terrible message to send to kids. They shouldn't be like trying to tame an ant. And then I thought, oh no, wait, they're never going to have access to an ant that they could tame because they're never going to be that size. <laughs> so it was okay at that point that right. they were taming an ant. Yeah, I do I like think- that it occurred to you bad message about taming ants yeah. <laughs> i kind of like, wanted russ uh ronnie at the end to like have an ant farm mm-hmm. like like he's like now now maybe it spurred an interest in uh you know insectology or whatever what's it called oh uh, yeah uh, entomology That's like right. he now is like really interested um 
It's speaking of Ronnie. So Ronnie constantly reminded me of Little Pete from the Adventures of Pete and Pete. He was dressed vaguely <laughs> like Little Pete with like that a hat and sort of a vest on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also had the little brother shtick down pat. But they never resolved what an obvious uh, sort of second-rate son their dad still seems to think he is. Like, him and it, like, Russell Jr. and Russell Sr. have their little resolution at the end. He's like, Dad, I'll join the football team if you really want. No, son, the only thing I care most is that you're okay. <laughs> I don't really give a crap about your brother. I, I still, I never will. You know, like, that part yeah. is never resolved. I felt like that was maybe more of an oversight on the writer's side but it yeah it didn't really for me it just kind of felt more like oh they just didn't really develop this very well mm, okay and and i and I, I think that that's a mistake um but it didn't feel like they were actively trying to say that he doesn't care about his son i think it was more just like he's kind of overwhelmed and he's like okay this, this kid's got it but th- this other one he's just like what what the fuck and he's kind of obsessed from a screenplay perspective, though, looking at that, I don't know that Ron was all that necessary to the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah and totally. when it's all said and done, I mean, he kicks off the action by hitting a baseball into his neighbor's attic, which he's aiming right for it. So I don't really know what he expects to do other than that. But then for the rest of the movie, he, he's not even really the comic relief, per se, because they sort of have Rick Moranis and the da- the dad from across the street, the Thompson dad. So Ron doesn't really fit a whole lot no, of... No, you have a really good point. Uh, you know... And he's definitely acting out a lot. Like, he's he's definitely the petulant whiner who's always trying getting on each other, people's nerves. And he's definitely acting out because he doesn't get any attention. And he doesn't really have... I guess I, I, I was going to say he doesn't have much of a character arc. But I do think he has a bit of a character arc with the fact that he bonded with the ant. Right. The ant death. Because the ant is the first thing to show him any love or affection. That's oh, God. True. I wow. feel really oh, bad God, for Oh, God, you guys, Ron. that's terrible. I that's feel so... really bad for Ronnie in this movie. But couldn't you, have, couldn't you have done that with Nick? I mean, couldn't Nick have bonded with the ant and then... That's true. Oh, no, uh, as you were saying, like, he didn't seem to offer anything other than this sad being abandoned by his father story. Yeah. I mean, Which I, is never resolved. It seems like you could get rid of the of the Ron character and you'd have exactly the same movie. Right. I, feel I like, see that. I see that. I feel like if anything, Ronnie could have been gender swapped to be uh, a like a little sister, a, like a kid sister thing, and maybe his. Oh like, yeah, she could have been like the little girl in a film that we recently watched, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Right. She could have been a yeah. precocious little girl who with the hammer of Thor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Why not? And then, yeah, exactly. and then we could have seen Russell Jr. like looking out for her, which could have also been like an admirable quality. Yeah, and that would have also been nice to remove the weird like gender anger that all the kids seem to have against girls. Well, I guess I felt like that's kind of true of like just all boys pre-puberty think girls are the worst. Well, if I may, if films are continuing to tell you that that line of questioning is great, then then you know it's just normalized. I guess that's true. I oh, because so it, because here's the here's the thing that annoyed me. I, I'm not surprised that Ron was saying shitty stuff about girls, but but when Nick, when the little one, they don't they have not agreed on anything in this entire movie until he's like, your sister's pretty all right for a girl, <laughs> and then Nick's like, true. It's the first thing that these two kids have agreed on, and it's, it's the like girls women suck. suck. Yeah. yeah. And that didn't that seemed out of place for Nick. 
You know, that is kind of interesting because I always thought this was a weird trope um, uh, among, like, you know, like, stuff aimed at little kids is, and, and also little kid culture, is this idea that boys don't like girls and think girls have cooties. I don't think I ever had that feeling. I've, I think I've always thought, like, ooh, girls are this, like, mystery that I want to, like, figure out. Like, I feel like I always <laughs> felt like sort of a, an, a, like, an attraction and desire to, like, understand, like, what's, what's going on in a, with girls, because they no, seem to be but such no different ever animals. Let, no movie is ever going to let a young boy, or at least at, of the time of the time that this movie was coming out, is going to let a young boy actually verbalize what you just said. That is not a narrative that exists. Right. They have to be teenagers before they start showing interest. Yeah, in each other. and and I and I was actually like like you know I always I always go on to some weird feminist rant when we're on this show, um, but that was something that that actually really like got under my got under my skin because they they created a derision against women that bonded two kids and it was a it might have seemed from your perspective like kind of a throwaway but like that is a that is a narrative that goes through so much media you know that, that it was like as a, I was kind of just like do we need that no we don't need that it's an easy joke and it's too easy of a joke mm Okay, guys, I, I'm so sorry. If you hear <laughs> screaming in the background. I think that there's a playoff game. Well, and... we're we're recording this on the night of the uh, Golden Globes, so there's some people that's at not the, Golden the Golden Globes. People that's, are that's super excited about game. who won for best motion picture drama. That's got to be the, a football game. Right? Well, it's football. Gotta... Football's over for today. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, they're, so they're screaming those people about... are really excited about the Golden. Globes. <laughs> they're screaming Globes. about the Golden Globes. Let's see. So, would you? Do you think you would show this uh, movie to your kids? If you were to ever have any? Uh, I think this is a fine babysitter. I, I don't have any qualms, probably, about sitting him down and being like, oh, hey, here. This wouldn't be one that I'd be like, remember this wonderful movie. When I was a kid, I want to share it with you. It would be more like, oh, that's on TV. Sure, you can watch that. Oh, now, see, I actually, what you just said of remember this wonderful movie, I want you to experience it. In rewatching this, I absolutely would be like, oh my god, I can't wait to show you this movie. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. so many cool things that happen. Yeah. Uh I know, I think this is a I do like to be like this is a movie that I'd be excited to show a kid. If only because oh, I started to touch on it earlier. During the sprinkler scene, when these big bombs of water are falling everywhere, I, I had this visceral memory of how this was a moment when watching it. Uh, that I, as a little kid, realized life for, like, insects is so different than mine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you think of ants as having, like, a family, and they all live together, a little ant home. And and there comes a point between when you're a kid and have, like, silly, simple views of animals and their lives, and then you become an adult, where you realize animals, of course, have very complex, different lives than you or I. But I feel like this was a definite teaching moment where I was like, the sprinkler would be like a catastrophe for the insects in our lawn, you know? And from that moment on, I started thinking about, like, the sprinkler's nothing to me, but it's, like, a, a force of nature for ants. And mm-hmm. and I think this was, like, one of those, like, a big communicating shift. a big perspective idea to, like, my wee little brain. Uh, and so I think this is kind of, like, a cool... Like, that's a cool concept that, like, this movie yeah. can and kind of impart on you. relatively well. The only thing that I have is the fact that I don't know why that ant is by himself. 
ants. Oh, the ant would be the ant would be in a colony. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ants don't hang out solo, <laughs> and if they do, they're trying everything they can to get back to their colony. So yeah, there's like a line one of them says, like, "When was the last time you saw one ant?" Well, this movie, because you only <laughs> right. see one ant in this movie. Right. I do wonder though, if you sit kids in front of this movie today, if they would be like, "Well, can't they just text their mom?" Right. You know, the, the mass communication start, is such now that yeah. they would just be like, Mom, I got shrunk by Dad's Ray. Come look for me in the backyard. Right. And you would cut this movie in half. And, and kids today would be like, I don't understand it. Or the parents being intrusive would just use the find my iPhone feature. <laughs> and it would you'd hear this tiny little buzz out in the grass somewhere. And they'd be like, there's the kids. But then you can have a good conversation about the good old days. That's true. You know, and it's kind of fun because... I actually really liked at the very, very beginning, there's this sign that goes off in his place that says breakfast in, in his office. And he types something um, and it says, I'll be down in five minutes to his daughter. And then that prints out downstairs. On ticker And tape, I was yeah. like, oh my God, he made like a text messaging system for his house. Right. And they even make a reference to typos because he types in like be down in five minutes, but it comes out as like minix. And she even comments, she's like, He's typing with his gloves on again. And he, he was like mashing the keyboard and with it's his funny mitts. To, and it's funny to watch that because like that whole concept is so like, so like 80 million miles away in 1989. But now it's like, oh, that's like a primitive version of what I do every day. Right. I think I remember thinking like, that's cool. Like that's a yeah. cool invention. I wish I could send messages from the attic to the kitchen you instantly. Can. The big thing now is uh, the big question that we always like to ask is, Sean, do you still love it? I would probably say that I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know. I, this, the movie held together pretty well in terms of like a screenplay perspective. There weren't huge gaps. You know, there weren't major lo- uh, holes in, in the plot. There were some some logical questions I had about everything. But, (laughs) you know, it was a pretty standard story and it worked in terms of where our characters were and where they were going to go and all of that. I think I enjoyed the adventure more than I enjoyed the people that went on the adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. Okay. And part of me thought, strangely enough, while I was watching this, now that I'm the age that I am, I was like, it would be so much more interesting if it was the adults that got shrunk. Right? Which is, of course, now the third movie in this <laughs> series. Shrunk ourselves. Which I think I aged out of at that point and did not see. Um, but I would say I thought it was a nice movie for the kids themselves and could still be today. I liked it. Liked it. I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. It is very rare on this show that my nostalgia holds up. Yeah. And like most most things end up dying on the on the cross of do I still love it? Even ants. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I loved this. It was so fun. It was the the art direction just really holds up, and I didn't expect it to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was such a lovely surprise. Well, I think the the thing that you mentioned is this movie this movie is like the tail end of practical effects. Yeah. Like the beginning of them trying to do CGI. Like there's obviously a lot of green screen going on, especially when they're doing shrinking and growing. But the I feel like the And real... that was really the shrinking and growing was really the only time that it was like, ooh, this looks bad. Right. And even then, like, it can be forgiven because it's only a hot second. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think the thing that this movie, if anything, is a real triumph of art direction. Oh, like, yeah. Like, the 
I, I, was, I would have loved to see the set that the kids were on. Uh, the, to me, I was so impressed. The very first visual like gag we see is they're shrunk and they're on the floorboards of their attic. And these they're these giant boards with the dusty gaps in between and screws screwed into them. And it's so satisfying. It looks yeah. so tactile and like it looks so interesting from the jump. And I think that's what's really exciting is this is a very short period of time where prior to this, you could have only done this film in cartoon form. And post this, they would have only tried to do this film with CGI. And so this is a really special sweet spot where they actually did the film as a film. This movie felt like such an epic adventure to me as a kid, and it didn't lose its luster 25 years later. Yeah, yeah. Or 26? 28? 28? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so old. No. Uh, well, I mean, I, I do agree. I think it's a forgotten art, the sort of set building from the old days of things like Ken Adams and the uh, the James Bond movies and things like that that we don't get anymore, maybe because we don't need them. Exactly. Um, I do think that it's a bit limited in this movie scope in the sense that once the kids go into the backyard you're sort of in one set for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And maybe there wasn't really a way for them, both budgetarily and logistically, to create more than that. But you are sort of like, there's a certain point in this movie where you kind of go, well, you know, the sets are, are done now. <laughs> we're, we're in a, an area of the movie where nothing could really change in terms of our setting. Yeah. Oh, and that's interesting because I, 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 I guess I see it differently because... It, it's it's just like if you if you filmed something in the woods and then there'd be the moment when you came across the weird looking tree that ended up being a Lego or the bush of berries that ended up being the oatmeal cream pie. And then at the very, very end, the um, the lawnmower comes through, chops all the blades and you you have a, an extremely varied world where they actually chopped the set off. You know, and it's like lying in pieces around. Oh, okay, that. as you're saying. And so, while while what what you're saying is is true, for some reason for me that's completely all right because that's the that's the truth of the of the world that they're in. I'm curious because I wonder if there was a point in time when the script had uh, more of an adventure inside the house uh, before it kind of got uh, like you know jump essentially jump cut. By the, by the dog coming out and picking them up. It did end very fast. Right. Because it, it's funny, they almost got the dog uh, before. The first time in the very beginning, they whistle for the dog. And for some reason, they're scared of it. Well, the, the dog has a, more of a character arc than, than, uh, than Ron does. Because the dog is scared of the cat and then works up its courage at the end. Right, right. And is able to get he through the door. So the dog has a cat. major character arc in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, for myself personally, I would say that I still love it. I think I think I'm I'm with Laura in that the special effects held up enough, and I, I do feel like there's like just enough like adventure and cool shit happening in this movie. And it's a sort of like an adventure movie that I feel like doesn't get like whatever happened to like kids go on an adventure movie. Are they still being made? Because I feel like this was sort of another thing that was like part of why we're nostalgic for the 80s is like the Goonies and E.T. and this are all well, like kind of kids going on an a adventure. Lot of those, a lot of those movies were made in a world where you didn't have parents that were constantly aware of where you were. 
oh, right, like now right. they all have to be period pieces because these kids would have cell phones. And it was okay for kids to go outside exactly. because there weren't malicious people out there. Or the fear of the, the trumped up fear. Yeah, of the fear people. of right. malicious people, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So it looks like uh, all around pretty positive feelings about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Of course, there's the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Which I actually do want to watch because I did really love that film. Yeah, that film. where he doesn't explode the child, but rather makes a two-year-old child. Becomes a bit of a monster movie parody, as yeah. I recall. Mm. Right. I think he attacks Las Vegas or something at some yes. point. Yes, like he, totally Las Vegas. Um, great. Well, I would really like to thank uh, Sean Wright, our guest. Sean, do you have any projects you'd like to plug? Anything? Uh, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? Uh, well, I am trying to constantly work. Um, I'm hopefully gonna be part of a movie that starts this summer uh if uh you know all things go as as according to plan we will have something that we are making that hopefully i will be able to report back to you on at some point in time great um also you are in bread and butter which uh liz uh former guest liz manishill wrote and directed and you are one of the principal actors in yes it can be seen now on hulu it can be seen on hulu and i still love it but I'm biased. Yes. No, I'm not. I have no bias in this, and I love that film. All right. Well, uh, great. So thanks, everyone at home, for listening. Check us out online. Do I still love it? We're all over the uh, the internet. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you got your podcasts. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And uh, good night, everyone. Oh, oh I, I get, get it. it. French class. <laughs> <laughs>